Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Service for all brands of print equipment in your office? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 12.35 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Bob Stoffer with you on Oilers Now. Roos Chris Steakhouse is the greatest steak you've ever had. It's Edmonton owned and operated, and it's open Wednesday through Sunday from 5 p.m. until close. You can head down to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Roos Chris in Edmonton is the 19th. Roos Chris that was open. Again, Edmonton owned and operated. Tell Brendan, Maggie, Taylor, and the staff at Roos Chris that Oilers now sent you. Spoiler alert, it's a final. We're going to have a game four between Florida and the Islanders. The Panthers hang on for a 3-2 victory. Again, the turning point in the game, 1-1. The scorer, Simeon Varlamov, played the uh, puck uh, in a bad spot. And that resulted in a power play for the uh, for the Florida Panthers. And they had a couple power play goals in the game. Hoffman gave them the go-ahead goal. They held on for a 3-2 victory. Without further ado, we're pleased to be joined by our Oilers Now headliner for touchback safety. When it's time for safety training, trust the experts at touchbacksafety.com. Your safety is their goal. The number one pick, the 1983 NHL entry draft, uh, had a lengthy NHL career, was one of the top agents in the business with Octagon, later GM of the Tampa Bay Lightning from the NHL Network. Network, Brian Lawton. Hello, Brian. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Bob. How are you? Good. Are you singing a little John Denver right now? <laughs> I am on a bus with uh, some kids, and we're going a little whitewater rafting. I am quarantining in Colorado because Minnesota is a no-fly state in the U.S., and I cannot go to New York or New Jersey where our studios to work until I am somewhere else for two weeks. It's pretty strict down here. That is crazy, but there's worse places to go to Colorado. Uh, we used to stay in Cherry Creek in Colorado, uh, and that is a nice like that is. If anybody's never been to Denver before, it is a spectacular American city. It's gorgeous in Colorado. All right, uh, well, this is Oilers now, so let's start with a guy you know well, Dave Tippett. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers got kicked in the teeth the first game. Uh, I don't know if it was rookie jitters or we also have to respect the opponent. The Hawks have got three Hall of Fame players. Uh, Jonathan Tays guy that's pretty good. Obviously, you had to uh, like the Oilers' response, Brian, in game two. Yeah, great response. And it's hard, to, it's hard to explain what happened in game one. I have a couple theories, but at the end of the day, um, 
the Oilers just led by Connor, of course. The response was so strong. It's exactly what they needed. They're in a dogfight now, though. I think Chicago definitely sent a huge message in that first game that we're not going to be a cakewalk for you. So this is shaping up to be a great series. You said you have a couple theories as to why the Hawks got uh, the game one performance. So let's hear them. Well, obviously, I felt the team was flat. But from a psychological standpoint, having played, you know, 500 games in the NHL, accountability is one of the, you know, really most important things a coach could do. I think it surprised a lot of people that Mike started Smith. I really do. I think a lot of the players felt that Koskinen had earned it. I don't think anybody purposely wasn't ready to go. But psychologically, uh, having sat in a room and been through things like that, uh, sometimes you get this really weird effect of uncertainty. In, in game one, Edmonton looked like a very uncertain team to me. Mike Smith's very well liked, don't, don't get me wrong. But ultimately, the players need to know you get the job done, uh, you're going to get an opportunity to continue to prove that. I think Tip went with his gut. He went with some past really strong feelings uh, about how Smitty's played for him. And uh, ultimately, for whatever reason, it just didn't work. I don't think he was sharp. I don't think the team was sharp. And um, sometimes that happens. Dave Tippett has been virtually batting 1,000% this year. Uh, I think, you know, there's probably, uh, I was shocked at the backlash against him personally, Bob. Uh, That happens. You ask these guys to make enormous decisions under pressure. They're not going to get them all right. Uh, in the end, the Oilers are back in the series. They're in a good spot. Their fate is in their hands. You know, all right. I'm just going to hit on one thing with Smith, okay? And I had this, I had this uh, conversation uh, after the game on Saturday. I went and saw a couple of ex pros out at uh, Pub 1905 on Jasper Avenue, and uh, you know, one of them said, "Bob, the problem that Mike Smith has is he's all in with the puck handling, and he doesn't alter his game." based on maybe the confidence level of his team. And he, he said, so you have the Oilers, Clefbaum and Larson have a case of the yips on defense. They're struggling. Uh, they haven't been, you know, they weren't great in training camp. Then they get out there, you know, the Oilers get up one nothing. Clefbaum uh, throws a pizza right up the middle. Smith makes a great save. And then Smith is aggressive playing the puck again. And the comment was, in that situation, Mike's got to read the situation. And he's got to back off the gas pedal and not always be the Mike Smith puck handler but maybe altering his game a bit to the tempo and the pace and the challenge that his team's going through. Does that make any sense? Is there something to that? Uh, do you think, like, does Mike Smith maybe need to read the situation a bit better with his team there? I think he does. I mean, obviously I had uh, Smitty and Tampa when I was a general manager there. He's a very competitive guy. He's a total team guy. Um, but puck handling is something that's just ingrained in him, and he wants to excel and execute every night. And what you're saying is true. Uh, every night, the Edmonton Oilers don't need him to be a 17. Uh, but I know Smitty's very strong-minded. He feels strongly about what his strengths are. That's one of them. Um, and there's a lot of different factors. I don't disagree with you. And I would also second the comment that Clefbaum and Larson, to me, are two guys that have surprised me. I thought they would really be ramped up, being back in Finland, having, a, excuse me, Sweden, having a chance to be on the ice. 
eight every day. I've been a little bit disappointed, quite frankly, with their play thus far. They're going to have to really catch up on the fly if the Oilers are going to win this series because they're just two important pieces that they can't afford to have playing below their average or their standard. Well, and as you know, uh, Dave Tippett took Oscar Clefbaum off the first penalty killing unit and put Russell, moved Russell up, cut some minutes back on Clefbaum in the process. We're joined by Brian Lawton, our uh, Oilers now headliner today for touchback safety. We should also mention, Brian, like the Hawks are playing with house money and they do have a team with Jonathan Taze on one line and Patrick Kane on the other and Duncan Keith on defense. Those are three Hall of Fame players that are competitive winners. Yeah, I mean, the character is so high in that room. You know, the Oilers have arguably two of the best players in the world. Uh, the Blackhawks have two of the highest character guys in the National Hockey League, certainly in Jonathan Cade. And and just the trio of Crawford and Kane um, and, and Keith, it's impressive. And leadership still matters. Jonathan Cade had perhaps the game of his life. Uh, really, certainly his best game in the last couple of years. And then you have a guy like Clefbaum that is literally the number one D for the Oilers. And he had perhaps his worst game of the entire season. Maybe in the last two seasons I've seen him play. So there's a lot of different things that happen to guys when they get in the playoffs. But ultimately, boy, the Hawks, uh, they always have to feel like they have a chance when you've got a guy like Jonathan Cage leading the way. All right, so Connor McDavid, uh, two goals in the first five minutes of game two. Um, you played a, a long time in the NHL. You've been around NHL players as an agent, as a general manager as well. There are different ways to lead, right? You don't always have to be raw, raw, and be the guy that wants uh, a lot of attention from the media or, you know, like, Con- and Connor gets the demands that Connor has are off the charts. And he's not a guy that engages the same way a Timo Solani or a Jerome Aguinola does. Um, but you can't argue with what you saw out of McDavid in game number two in the first five minutes, Brian. No, you can't. And he's done everything you would expect him to do in terms of his play. Uh, you know, that first game, it was a rough outing for Connor defensively. It was a rough outing five on five. I think Connor is a really terrific leader, but I still think he's learning on the job. And that's just part of being, you know, a captain at such a young age in the National Hockey League. It takes a while for you to figure out how to handle your stardom as a player and also motivate and lead the other players. Connor's been a captain all his life by virtue of just being the best player on the team by a lot. Well, when you get to the National Hockey League, you got to figure out that sweet spot, how you can always be prepared to play yourself, but also motivate the other guys. And everybody does it different. I've had lots of good captains in the National Hockey League. Some are very vocal. They'll pound the fist in the room. They'll let everybody know where they stand. Others will just do it with their effort and the way that they handle their play. But ultimately, there's no two captains that are alike, in my opinion. Connor McDavid cannot wake up tomorrow and be Mark Messier. He can't wake up tomorrow and be Jonathan Page. He's got to be the best version of himself as Connor McDavid. 
Yeah, that's a great point by you. We're joined by Brian Lawton from the NHL Network. Bob Stoffer with you to Winners now. Dave Tippett made a subtle little flip, but it's a move he's gone to three or four times before earlier this season. Brian, when it, when 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 they struggle a bit, the Oilers struggle or a little bit flat. Maybe Cassian isn't going. Josh Archibald's sort of the security blanket for Dave Tippett, isn't he? With Connor. Yeah, he certainly is. There's a lot of trust there. Almost kind of like Travis Green using Louis Erickson. It was a healthy scratch the first game, then came out and played 20 minutes in a in a real important role. Well, Dave Tippett does that at times with Josh Archibald, a guy who just, you know, he admires the way he plays. Probably reminds himself a little bit of how he played the game. Uh, I, I would say Tip might not have been as physical as Josh could be at times, but just really intelligent defensively. And it made all the difference in the world, certainly in game two. Uh, Zach Cassian, like a lot of guys, he did not have his A game in game one. He wasn't able to be effective physically, and he wasn't that involved. Uh, Dave Tippett has made everybody's been on him for maybe uh, starting the wrong guy in game one. But the fact of the matter is this guy still gets a lot more right when he gets wrong. Uh, so... Andreas Athanasiu and Cassian played with Sheehan on the third line. At times I've sensed when they've had Athanasiu mostly up with Connor, it's like he's deferred a bit to his game, and he needs to me to be the puck, puck transporter. Sometimes is it better for a player like that, especially a guy, I mean, he's a little bit established, but he's not an NHL, you know, 800-game veteran. Do you think it's better for a player like Athanasiu to be in a scenario where he doesn't necessarily believe... Now, it's going to be different when we talk about money and contract, but you know where he doesn't have, you know, where he gets to be the guy, the driver on the line, instead of a McDavid or Dreisaitl being on the line, which would be the case in the Oilers' top two lines. And maybe he learns in time how to, you know, how to do that better, but I just sense he, he looks different and more effective further down the lineup where he can be a little bit more of the puck transporter. Yeah, tremendous amount of pressure for a guy like him. He's an interesting study. For me, he was a guy that was really beaten up coming out of Detroit, and not for any specific reason other than it was a really tough year there. And when you're a guy that has the past history of Athens CEO, even though it's not 800 games, but you've scored a lot of goals and you've been a good player for him and they have the kind of historically bad season that they did, it can really wreak havoc with your confidence. Uh, he just looked like an abused player when he joined the Oilers. And in talking to their some of their management and their staff, uh, there's a lot of belief in him in that room. Ken Holland has a lot of belief in him. He didn't pay the price that he paid because he thinks that he can't contribute. Uh, but I think it's been more challenging to maybe get rid of some of the things that happened before he got to the Oilers to rebuild his confidence. Because without confidence, I don't care how good you are, how skilled you are, how fast you can skate, uh, you're just not going to show well. You're not going to do your job well. Pushing him down the lineup, I think, has been brilliant by Dave Tippett, uh, just to give him a chance to get his feet underneath him. They need his speed. He makes them a better team. uh, But they also need him to start to rebuild that confidence back to where he can be an effective player. I still see him deferring at times uh, in terms of his offensive ability when maybe he would have tried or done a little bit more uh, that it's just not quite there yet. But if they can continue to ramp him up and get him to feel good about his game, that just makes him that much more 
quicker right. of a team and effective of a team. I'm going to put you, uh, ask you to put your agency hat on here. So he needs to be qualified. He had a 30-goal season. He's making $3 million right now. Uh, so he would need a 5% raise because he is uh, above the league average marginally. So tell me this. Uh, it, if you were Andreas Athanasiou, if Ken Holland came to him and said, look, we're only at an $81.5 million cap, if you took a little bit of a haircut on a one-year deal, let's see how it goes for another year, do you think his agent would, would take that? Or conversely, do you think the agent would say, nope, if you can't qualify him, we're going to take him to the open. You know, if you can't qualify him at at least $3 million, I should correct that. It, because he's above the league average, he just needs to be qualified at his current price. Uh, if you can't go to $3 million, uh, we're gonna we're gonna try our uh, lockout and free agency. How would you handle that situation? Well, you are correct. First off, on your analysis of the CBA, it hasn't changed any new one either, from what I'm told. So you got to qualify him at his existing number. Uh, that would be really tough to do for me personally, because of the season that he had this year and because of the environment that we're in right now, because of COVID-19, salary cap not going up at all. Uh, pressure on everybody. Uh, that's a little bit of a little bit of game of chicken. I wouldn't see the agent necessarily being overly brash on that one. If he can make a deal at anything close to that number, I think that after the seal will do it in a second. Uh, it hasn't been reflective of the player he is. He knows he's not going to get a long-term deal. I think he'd be smart to do that personally. I don't know what Ken Holland will do. He's going to have to sit down at the end of the year, take some more information in, see how these guys perform in this playing round, in the playoffs, and then make some really tough decisions because the Oilers, not unlike the majority of the teams in the NHL, are going to have to make hard decisions on good players. Athanasio falls right into that sweet spot. I don't know what the answer will be, but I would be surprised if he comes back at his existing number. Yeah, uh, and I, I wonder whether or not the same thing might occur with Matt Benning. If there's an offer that comes in like less than two million bucks, maybe it's at one and a half million. Look, you're third pairing D man, we can afford you at one and a half, but not at two, and maybe give him a two year offer. One final one for you, Brian. Uh, and w- this has been very weather centric. Actually, I got two final questions. First question uh, just have we seen a change in defense? You, you, you talked about Adam Larson, heavy def- defenseman that has to pound, that can stop cycles. And I'm watching the effectiveness of Ethan Bear in terms of the Oilers' transition game, the effectiveness of Jared Spurgeon in Minnesota. Very different time for Demon now even than it was four or five years ago, wasn't it? It is. And, it, you know, when you talk about those players, Bear and Spurgeon, they're guys that, you know, Bear can certainly handle himself physically. But aside from being an excellent transition deep, they have excellent sticks and positioning defensively. And they're not doing it so much with brute force as it is positioning, quickness, um, timing, getting underneath guys at the right moment, not engaging in those kind of uh, bowl matches in front of the net. These guys are very effective. I think the game continues to transition as the rules continue to change, as you can't hold up as guys don't have to fight through as much as they used to to get in on the forecheck. Um, you know, there's no doubt that they are effective. Now, Adam Larson, to me, he can still be a very, very effective player for the Oilers because he can move the puck. Uh, as you pointed out at the beginning of this interview, I thought he would come back with a little more pop. 
he's got to get up to speed quickly to feel as good as I have in the past about his game. But no doubt we're seeing a transition in the NHL. All right, Brian, enjoy your time with your family. Thanks for joining us here in Oilers now. My pleasure, Bob. Thank you. 12.53 in Edmonton. We'll take a timeout. You're listening to Oilers Now. This is Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on Oilers Radio, 6.30 Chad. 12.56 in Edmonton. Let's go to the Oilers Now injury report brought to you by James H. Brown Injury Lawyers. When accidents happen, go to jameshbrown.com. Trent Brown, Jim Brown, the gang at James H. Brown. They want you to stay safe and stay positive. Back at the 630 Jet Studios, here's Brandon Escott. Well, Leafs defenseman Jake Muzzin was stretchered off the ice yesterday after an awkward headfirst fall into Oliver Bjorkstrand in Toronto's win over Columbus. He is done for the series now, but was discharged from hospital last night, and he will remain uh, inside the bubble at that hotel with the Leafs. Coyotes goaltender Antti Ranta deemed unfit to play today. He is not on the bench backing up Darcy Kemper. Instead, it's Aiden Hill, and that's because Ranta took a shot in the mask in yesterday's warm-up. They're without uh, Nick Schmaltz again. Third straight game he's missed. A neck ailment suffered on a hit from Ryan Reeves. Canucks forward Tyler Toffoli is uh, in a walking boot right now. The team has provided little to no other details. And uh, Pierre Lebrun has reported the Hurricanes are hoping to have Dougie Hamilton back in their first-round playoff series, possibly as early as Game 1. Now, he broke his leg in a game back on January 16th, although uh, Sarah Sivian of The Athletics says that this injury right now was not related to that original broken leg. Well, they got a deep defense. There's no question. I mean, Jake Bean's still a prospect for them that hasn't been able to break their lineup on a full-time basis. 12.57, we'll take a timeout. Uh, by the way, spoiler alert, quick update. Arizona leads Nashville by a score of one nothing. The Preds are out shooting the Coyotes 12-2 to in that game, but they got the one nothing lead. Off to a global news weather traffic update with Eileen Bell. And when we come back, David Staples from the Cult of Hockey. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.